so good. Hey, we're going to start a series this week, and it's a, it's just a two-week series. So this one's going to go real quick, but th- it, we're going to hit a couple of issues that I think are really important for us as a body of believers, and they have to do with things that we might be reluctant to talk about. So there are times when we know that the, the, there's just things that we've got to keep and hold certain information and not divulge it. <clears throat> Excuse me. We know that in our families, parents, there's just some things you just say, we're not going to tell the kids. We're not going to burden them with that. By the time they know about it, it'll be resolved. Sometimes us adults, we go, you know, I'm not going to tell mom and dad about that. They'll just worry, they'll fret, and it's, it's, it's my stuff to work with. It's my things to resolve and issues to deal with. Sometimes you say, let's not call the pastor, let's not burden him because we've already prayed about it and God has it in his hands. Or I might say, you know, I'm not going to just unload stuff on you because we're having coffee together. You don't need to carry that burden. But at other times, we need other people to hear us say things. We need to have the opportunity to say them. At other times, we need to disclose certain things. And in our world today, forgive me, my microphone is giving me a little bit of trouble. In our world today, there's this big conflict going on between what information gets divulged and what information gets protected. And so you might think <laughs> when we talk about this, and I, I have to admit, when I planned this, I picked the, the title of Full Disclosure months ago. I promise you I did not pick it for this week. So God in his infinite wisdom did this. But we do live in a time where we just think, you know, there's information I want to keep to myself and I should because that information could hurt other people. And then there's information that we need to share and we need to disclose because holding that information back does harm. And the wisdom to know the difference, well, my friends, even presidents and Congress and courts can't always get that right. But I would just suggest to you that there are some things that should leak out. There are some things that others should hear because we need to say them and they need to hear them. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm just going to unload things on you. Now, if you're not a fan of the, the old TV show Seinfeld, forgive me, but one of my favorite sayings from that show came from a Christmas show. And so the family's getting together, and, and Jerry and his friends are there, and George is there, and George's dad is suggesting that they do a new Christmas observance because he doesn't like Christmas, and he suggests the, the celebration of Festivus. Some of you remember this. And instead of a Christmas tree, we're just going to have a bare aluminum pole, the Festivus pole. And then there were certain activities that he suggested should go on. And so there were, he suggested that the family should do feats of strength. 
as part of the celebration, and so you, you pick things up and so on, and it, 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 it's really a little bit bizarre. But those of you that remember it, it's also hilarious. And then he suggests this. He suggests a part of the celebration of Festivus should be what he called the airing of grievances. Do you guys remember that? And as soon as he suggests that, he says, I think we should have the airing of grievances. And then he looks across the table at all and he goes, I got a lot of problems with you people. That is not what I'm suggesting here today. <laughs> if you got a lot of problems with me, um, one at a time, and how about waiting until Tuesday? <laughs> so that's not what we're talking about, but there's certain information that needs to be heard and needs to be spoken because of what it does between us. If you are married, you need to say, I love you to your spouse. And you need to do it regularly. You need to say it, and it needs to be heard. And I would just suggest that that also needs to be part of your conversation with your kids. They need to hear that. And they need to hear more than just I love you. They need to hear I'm, I'm proud of you. They need to hear you can do this. And it's more than just kids. Sometimes your pastor needs to hear that. Hey, you can do this. Sometimes it's people in the hospital. It's, it's that hospital waiting room with the families we know and love that the Lord watches over you. He gives peace to our conflict. I need to hear that from time to time. And we need to say it. There's a reason we do this ritual. We need to hear from time to time that the blood of God was shed for us and his body is broken for us. We need to say it, we need to hear it, and we need to experience it. So there's things that we just need to disclose. But some of the things that we need to disclose are awfully hard to say. And I would just suggest to you in a moment of disclosure here with you guys, sometimes it's hard to tell my wife I love you, but I need to, and I try to. When we were young, pastor and spouse, years ago, we went to a retreat with other pastors and spouses, and there was an older couple there, and they had they'd pastored for decades, and now that I'm getting older, it doesn't seem like it was that long, but at the time, it was like, wow, these saints have done this forever, and they pastored in this little country church in southern Illinois, and they were sitting next to us, and we were talking about being husband and wives, and, and she spoke up, and she goes, you know, there's sometimes when he comes home, and I just look at him and say, are you as mad at me as I am at you? And I heard that, and I go, oh, praise Jesus. We aren't the only ones, nor are you. But we still need to say, I love you, and that's why I'm staying, and that's why you can count on me, and that's why I will forgive and ask for forgiveness. So there's things that we just need to say, and so this is about saying the things that need to be said. And I'm just going to hit two of them, and I'm going to hit not just what needs to be said, but how we choose to express them based on what we read in Scripture and what we've experienced in life. And so the first one that I think we need to say is we need to have some mechanism or even more than one mechanism for telling each other and the world, we are now different. I'm different. I've changed. Something has gone on in me and I'm not the same person I was. That's what we're going to talk about today. Next Sunday, come back. And then the other thing that I think we need to hear is I'm in. 
You can count on me. I will be here. I am making this kind of commitment. I am in. We need to hear that. And we need to say it. So today we're going we're gonna to look at this one. I'm different. Because here's the thing. Each other here, all of us here in this room, need to hear from one another, I'm not the same person I was. And then maybe we need to follow that up with, and I'm not going to be this same person tomorrow or the day after. I am still being conformed to the image of God. And I think the reason we need to say that is, is because I, I think there are like three things that follow in line with this. And so this is what I want you to remember today. The world needs to know that we are clean, we are claimed, and we are committed. We are no longer going to live in and demonstrate the filth of the world. We are no longer going to live as though we belong to the world. And we are going to run hard after the one who claimed and cleansed us. And so there's a way that we do this. In, in New Testament times and specifically in our tradition, the way we do that generally is through an act of baptism. That's why outside those doors in this building, we have a hole in our floor. And we fill it with water and we invite people to come and be baptized because we think that that ritual and that demonstration has deep and powerful and even mysterious meaning to us as Christians. And so I, I just, I want to begin by saying this. I'm going to come back to it at the end. But I would just challenge you, if you have never been baptized, you should consider that. Jesus said when he was leaving his disciples to ascend into heaven, one of the last things he said to them is, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave this command. And he himself, in this bizarre moment, uh, this supernatural moment, Jesus Christ himself chose to be baptized by his cousin, by his cousin John the Baptist. And he went down, and it wasn't that he needed to be baptized because he'd been a wretched person. We know that he was perfect and sinless, but for some reason he chose the demonstration of a water baptism to show people there his commitment to follow God. Now I just want to unpack this for you a minute because I've talked about these three C's, being clean, being claimed, and being committed. And so... As I was looking this through and, and trying to figure out a, a, a good way to describe baptism historically, I was uh, doing some study in my office. And I usually like to go back to the Greek and unpack a Greek term. And, and so I did that and I opened up some big thick books. And as I was reading through there, I came across this thing where this guy had traced back through the Old Testament and even not just in our Judeo-Christian um, history and lineage coming out of Jewish law into Christian ethos. But he went and he said, you know, in other parts of the Near East, there were ritual washings. And there were things that people identified with the water that made them significant. 
And it just seemed to stand out. And we recognize, I think, in human history that water does amazing things. We water plants, they grow. We drink water and our thirst is quenched. And yet, if you were here early on at the beginning, you saw a video that showed us that water can also be devastating and terrible. And some of us have stood where floods were recently uh, all around and trees are gone and buildings are gone and houses are destroyed. And some of us maybe have had the unfortunate, sad uh, experience of a loved one that perished in the water because they drowned. But here's the thing. This guy, as he was tracing this, he goes, you know, in Egypt, prior to Jesus coming, there was a significance that was given to people who died in the Nile River. They treated them differently. They buried them differently. They handled their remains differently. And so one of the first things they said, if, if somebody went in the, into the Nile River and died there, whether they drowned or whether they were attacked by a crocodile or a hippo, you don't go get them. You leave their body in the sacred river. Now, this is pagan. I understand that. But there was this significance that somebody along the time said, that's different. Now, it may have been self-preservation, Right? You've already gone there, some of you. That We're not going to go get Hink out there because Hink is now feeding a crocodile and he is sacred. <laughs> and that's why we're not going to go get him. But there was, there, there was beyond that. They, they then built that out a little bit and they said, you know, if someone died in the river when their remains, this is, this is kind of nasty, but when their remains washed up on the shore, only certain people, priests, were to go down and pick up those remains and they were to prepare those remains differently because they adopted the mentality that anyone who died there was sacred and different. And it was almost a privilege if you died in the Nile River. And so then they went on and they built out this whole thing about going into the water and dying in the water making you different. Now, again, they were pagan But it wasn't completely different than when Jewish people who had spent some time in Egypt also talked about ceremonial cleansing and God himself gave Levitical law that said, I want you to wash things in a certain way to make them clean in order to use them in the tabernacle or the temple. And once you wash them this way, they're mine. So there's a bowl. I want you to wash that bowl. I want you to wash it with, with ceremonial water. I want it to be clean for use in the tabernacle. And then you don't eat out of that bowl. You don't pick up berries out of that bowl. Yeah, that's mine. And so there was a ceremonial washing. And they used the same terminology when it came to the New Testament time when Jesus is there and his cousin John the Baptist shows up who's also a very strange guy who spent time out in nature. And John the Baptist begins preaching and he tells the people, I want you to tell God that I will repent of my sins and I'm not going to live that way anymore. And I will ceremonially wash you. I'll take you into the Jordan River and I'm going to wash you off. And that's a demonstration to God that you're committed to him. That's what John the Baptist did. So here comes Jesus and he says, I need you to baptize me. Even though John the Baptist said, someone's coming after me and I'm not even worthy of untying his shoelaces. 
But Jesus goes to him and he enters the water and John baptizes him. And then we know the rest of the story, even though it's hard for us to picture and understand. But somehow the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit like a dove came and lit on him and this voice speaks. And if you and I were there, we probably would have been pretty close to cardiac arrest. What is going on? And for some reason, Jesus demonstrated for us in his own obedience to say, I am not going to be a person of sin and carnality and filth. But I'm, I'm being washed ceremonially and I'm being set apart. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. Now for some of you, perhaps that was exactly the way it was for you. You came to a point where I I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I want people to know that I'm giving up a sinful life. I'm wanting to live for him and I'm going to be baptized. And you made that decision as an adult and and a pastor, whether it was me or someone else baptized you. And we said, praise God for this person's life in Christ. For some of us, myself included, my parents brought me when I was a child, an infant, And they brought me to another pastor, and I was baptized as an infant. And we have some disagreements at times as to how that works and how it doesn't work. But really, the gist of it is this. My parents said, we want him to be clean. We want him to be claimed by God until he makes a decision for himself. That was it. And it was great. So, we have these cloths up here that we cover our communion table with, and they're wonderful. They're they're beautiful linens. They're white. But imagine with me that this cloth had been run through the mud, and it's filthy. It's stained. It's got gritty sand in it. And maybe in addition to the mud, there's some grass stains. And whoops, and I'm doing it right now. Running it through the mud. Oh, and there's dust on it, and we shake it out. And, well, it needs washed. So we would take this cloth and we would put it in the water and we would scrub and we might add cleansing agents to scrub it and try and take the stains out to make it clean. But sin, like dirt, leaves us marked and scarred. So we're cleaned and we could say it's clean but there's some stains that aren't going to come out so easy. And, you know, there's grass stains over here and there's dirt stains over there, maybe even something else. And so maybe what we can do, instead of reclaiming it just by water, maybe we can take it and change its color. And so instead of just being clean, we dye it. And we run it through something that we know is going to stick and change its color and... Let's make it look like some other color because we can't take care of all the scars. There's stuff done here that's going to be here. Not that sins aren't forgiven, not that healing doesn't take place, but where we have been incredibly hurt, we will always have some kind of evidence of that hurt. So we're going to dye this. And so I would just suggest to you that the, the water baptism of John was a little bit different to what happened when Jesus died. Because now blood is shed. 
And now the washing is different. And instead of just being water and maybe some soap, instead of just being that, now we're going to be washed in blood. And you're not going to be the same color. You're not going to be the same after that. But you're going to be claimed because now you are marked with blood, the blood of Jesus. And then in a moment, I'll talk about being committed. But I want to look at this passage from the book of Acts because it helps me to understand this. So John, sorry John, the Apostle Paul is traveling around Asia Minor and he's preaching and he's bringing people to Christ and he's not the only one. Apollos is traveling around, Barnabas is traveling with him, things like that. But in this instance, he comes to this place to Ephesus, and he is traveling at different times and different places to Apollos. And so we pick this up as he comes to Ephesus and starts talking to the people there. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took a route through the interior and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. Now, I'm I'm, going to break this apart before we go forward. Some of you know from reading the New Testament that at another point, there's this argument between believers as to who they belong to because Paul says, some of you say, I belong to Paul and some say, I belong to Apollos because that's who led me to the Lord. And think of it here as that some of you would say, well, Pastor Hink's my pastor. And some of you who've been here a while would go back to my predecessor and say, Pastor Chuck, that's, that was, man, that was my pastor. And some of you have really been around here a long time ago back to Pastor Joe. And it was similar. There's these, there's these relationships that are built. There's, this, there's these uh, uh, bonds that are made. And so I'm, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. That's who led me to the Lord. That's my spiritual father. And uh, Paul is doing this journey. Apollos is going around. And they come. And Paul finds out that these people are disciples. Just unhook it. I think I'll do fine without it. It just... Feels like they're trying to hang me. But these people are disciples. Paul classifies them as these are followers of Jesus. But get this. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? They replied, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So they're disciples, they're in the family of God, they're in the kingdom, they're endeavoring to honor God and follow him, and they've heard about Jesus, and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know what that is. Then he said, what baptism did you receive then? What kind of washing did you get? And they answered, John's baptism. So at this moment, they go, oh, oh, okay. We go back to John the Baptist. When John baptized and people went in the water and said, I don't want to sin anymore. I'm going to endeavor to live a better life. That was the washing that we were looking for, the spiritual washing we were looking for. That's what we were committing ourselves to. And Paul says, oh, okay, you know, you got John's baptism. That's way back there. So Paul explained John baptized with a baptism by which people showed they were changing their hearts and lives. 
just to stop there for a moment. They were changing their hearts and lives. These people were making decisions and commitments. That's what was going on. It was a baptism that told people about the one who was coming after him. This is the one whom they were to believe. This one is Jesus, he says. After they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in languages and prophesying. All together, there were about 12 people. So Paul comes and he goes, these are disciples and they're endeavoring to live a life that honors God. But he comes to them and he goes, you know, you've, been, you, you've, you've cleaned up your lives. You've kind of washed things off. But there's still some stains there. And you need to know about the baptism of blood. And then you need to know about the baptism of spirit. And so he's leading them through this. And as he does, he says, you know, let's, let me talk to you about being baptized in the name of Jesus. John was great, but he knew he was unworthy. Jesus was worthy. And Jesus' baptism is with blood. And then he says, I will lay hands on you and we will pray and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes place. And of course, those terms are talked about other places in the New Testament. But here's what caught my attention. This is Paul who has been around the early church, and this is the early church that came into birth by this explosion of the Holy Spirit. And we read about the day of Pentecost where thousands were added to their number when people heard in their own language. And we've seen Paul going across the, the Mediterranean and people are coming to the Lord in every town. And here he comes to this place and there are people who are trying to live good lives, godly lives, but they haven't really encountered Jesus and they certainly haven't encountered the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they do, and we see there are about 12. And I have to tell you, after this whole thing, I'm reading this, I go, wow, this is great. So they've, they've been trying, they've been endeavoring to live a good life. They found Jesus, because Paul shares that, and then they, they received the Holy Spirit. And I was ready for, and there were about 3,000 added to their number. Nope, 12. But do any of you find that significant? Yeah. I find it really significant. And we could, you know, we could try to tie all this imagery together where 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples of Jesus, but there just seems to be something entirely appropriate about 12 people in this instance. There's something genuine. There's something that just rings with a true resonance. This is the real thing. So this is Paul's experience. And so here's this thing where we, we wash, we cleanse, we are washed in blood, and we are dyed, and we are claimed, and we do die in spiritual terms, and then we become committed through the filling, and I would even use the word the consumption, the consuming of God's Spirit in our lives. Washing, dying, and then folding. I was going to have Olivia come up here and do this, but I won't do that. It's her birthday. But there's something about this. If it's just kind of scrunched up and it's been tossed in a mud 
whole and then rinsed out and rinsed off and shaken out and then maybe, well, let's, let's dye it a different color. But then to take it and actually fold it. And if you look at this, there's a, there's a crease. Can you guys see that? There's a crease that has just been placed in this thing for every time that Pastor Stephanie has put this away after we use it and folded it over. There's just a way it goes. And we could probably iron it out, but it's, it's been in there a while. And it's set aside. And this isn't going to be a napkin that be, gets used at the next potluck or Wednesday night's dinner. We're going to put this away in the cabinet because next month we'll get it out. And we'll cover the bread. And we'll protect that until it's time to break it. And in the same way, when, when our lives, we say, I, I'm endeavoring to follow Jesus. I really want to live a better life. But there's just things I can't take care of without this cleansing of the blood. And, and then looking forward to be set aside for something different like that stuff that they used in the tabernacle and the temple that he said, you know, wash that off and now it's mine. There's this sense that God wants to fill you with his spirit and say, I want to push things aside. I want to cleanse this in a different way because I want my spirit to be housed in you and you are mine and you are committed to me and there is a purpose I have for you. And so this is not just another cloth and you are not just another person. So this bigger forces at work where our, our lives are washed, our lives are claimed by the cleansing of blood and the, the transformation of blood and our lives are then sacrificed and your spirit can guide me and speak to me and I will obey it because I'm here to do your will, not mine. 